Section 17 of The Confidence Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by M.B. The Confidence Man, His Masquerade by Herman Melville. Chapter 40, in which the story of China Aster is at second hand told by one who, while not disapproving the moral, disclaims the spirit of the style. China Aster was a young candle-maker of Marietta, at the mouth of the Muskingum, one whose trade would seem a kind of subordinate branch of that parent craft and mystery of the hosts of heaven, to be the means, effectively or otherwise, of shedding some light through the darkness of a planet benighted. But he made little money by the business. Much ado had poor China Aster and his family to live. He could, if he chose, light up from his stores a whole street, but not so easily could he light up with prosperity the hearts of his household. Now China Aster, it so happened, had a friend, Orcus, a shoemaker, one whose calling it is to defend the understandings of men from naked contact with the substance of things, a very useful vocation, and which, spite of all the wiseacres may prophesy, will hardly go out of fashion so long as rocks are hard and flints will gall. All at once, by a capital prize in a lottery, this useful shoemaker was raised from a bench to a sofa. A small nabob was the shoemaker now, and the understandings of men let them shift for themselves. Not that Orcus was, by prosperity, elated into heartlessness. Not at all. Because, in his fine apparel, strolling one morning into the candlery, and gaily switching about at the candle-boxes with his gold-headed cane, while poor China Aster, with his greasy paper cap and leather apron, was selling one candle for one penny to a poor orange woman, who, with the patronizing coolness of a liberal customer, required it to be carefully rolled up and tied in a half-sheet of paper. Lively Orcus, the woman being gone, discontinued his gay switchings, and said, "'This is poor business for you, friend China Aster.' Your capital is too small. You must drop this vile tallow and hold up pure spermaceti to the world. I, I tell you what it is. You shall have one thousand dollars to extend with. In fact, you must make money, China Aster. I don't like to see your little boy paddling about without shoes as he does. Heaven bless your goodness, friend Orcus, replied the candle-maker. But... Don't take it illy if I call to mind the word of my uncle, the blacksmith, who, when a loan was offered him, declined it, saying, To ply my own hammer, light though it be, I think best, rather than piece it out heavier by welding to it a bit off a neighbor's hammer, though that may have some weight to spare. Otherwise, were the borrowed bit suddenly wanted again, it might not split off at the welding, but too much to one side or the other. "'Nonsense, friend China Aster, don't be so honest. Your boy is barefoot. Besides, a rich man lose by a poor man, or the friend be the worse by a friend? China Aster, I am afraid that, in leaning over into your vats here this morning, you have spilled out your wisdom. Hush, I won't hear any more. Where's your desk?' "'Oh, here.' With that, Orcus dashed off a check on his bank and off-handedly presenting it, said, "'There, friend China Aster, is your one thousand dollars. When you make it ten thousand, as you soon enough will, for experience, the only true knowledge, 
teaches me that for every one good luck is in store then china asked her why then you can return me the money or not just as you please but in any event give yourself no concern for i shall never demand payment now as kind heaven will so have it that to a hungry man bread is a great temptation and therefore he is not too harshly to be blamed if when freely offered he take it even though it be uncertain whether he shall ever be able to reciprocate so to a poor man proffered money is equally enticing and the worst that can be said of him if he accept it is just what can be said in the other case of the hungry man in short the poor candlemaker's scrupulous morality succumbed to his unscrupulous necessity as is now and then apt to be the case he took the check and was about carefully putting it away for the present when orcus switching about again with his gold-headed cane said by the way china aster it don't mean anything but suppose you make a little memorandum of this won't do any harm you know so china aster gave orcus his note for one thousand dollars on demand orcus took it and looked at it a moment pooh i told you friend china aster i wasn't ever going to make any demand then tearing up the note and switching away again at the candle boxes said carelessly uh, put it at four years so china aster gave orcus his note for one thousand dollars at four years you see i'll never trouble you about this said orcus slipping it in his pocket-book give yourself no further thought friend china aster than how best to invest your money and don't forget my hint about spermaceti go into that and i'll buy all my light of you with which encouraging words he with wonted rattling kindness took leave china aster remained standing just where orcus had left him when suddenly two elderly friends having nothing better to do dropped in for a chat the chat over china aster in greasy cap and apron ran after orcus and said friend orcus heaven will reward you for your good intentions but here is your check and now give me my note your honesty's a bore china aster said orcus not without displeasure i won't take the check from you then you must take it from the pavement orcus said china aster and picking up a stone he placed the check under it on the walk china aster said orcus inquisitively eyeing him after my leaving the candlery just now what asses dropped in there to advise with you that you now hurry after me and act so like a fool shouldn't wonder if it was those two old asses that the boys nickname old plain talk and old prudence yes it was those two orcus but don't call them names a brace of spavined old croakers old plain talk had a shrew for a wife and that's made him shrewish and old prudence when a boy broke down in an apple stall and that discouraged him for life no better sport for a knowing spark like me than to hear old plain talk wheeze out his sour old saws while old prudence stands by leaning on his staff wagging his frosty old paw and chiming in at every clause how can you speak so friend orcus of those who were my father's friends save me from my friends if those old croakers were old honesty's friends i call your father so for every one used to why did they let him go in his old age on the town 
My China Aster, I've often heard it from my mother, the chronicler, that those two old fellows with old conscience, as the boys called the crabbed old Quaker that's dead now, they three used to go to the poorhouse when your father was there, and get round his bed and talk to him for all the world as Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did to poor old pauper Job. Yes, Job's comforters were old plain talk and old prudence and old conscience to your poor old father. Friends, I should like to know who you call foes. With their everlasting croaking and reproaching, they tormented poor old honesty, your father, to death. At these words, recalling the sad end of his worthy parent, China Aster could not restrain some tears. Upon which Orcus said, Why, China Aster, you are the dolefulest creature. Why don't you, China Aster, take a bright view of life? You will never get on in your business or anything else if you don't take the bright view of life. It's the ruination of a man to take the dismal one. Then, gaily poking at him with his gold-headed cane, Why don't you, then? Why don't you be bright and hopeful like me? Why don't you have confidence, China Aster? I'm sure I don't know, friend Orcus, soberly replied China Aster. But maybe my not having drawn a lottery prize like you may make some difference. Nonsense! Before I knew anything about the prize, I was gay as a lark, just as gay as I am now. In fact, it has always been a principle with me to hold to the bright view. Upon this, China Aster looked a little hard at Orcus, because the truth was that until the lucky prize came to him, Orcus had gone under the nickname of Doleful Dumps, he having been before times of a hypochondriac turn, so much so as to save up and put by a few dollars of his scanty earnings against that rainy day he used to groan so much about. "'I tell you what it is now, friend China Aster,' said Orcus, pointing down to the check under the stone, and then slapping his pocket. "'The check shall lie there if you say so, but your note shan't keep it company.' In fact, China Aster, I am too sincerely your friend to take advantage of a passing fit of the blues in you. You shall reap the benefit of my friendship. With which, buttoning up his coat in a jiffy, away he ran, leaving the check behind. At first, China Aster was going to tear it up, but thinking that this ought not to be done except in the presence of the drawer of the check, he mused a while, and picking it up, trudged back to the candlery, fully resolved to call upon Orcus soon as his day's work was over and destroy the check before his eyes. But it so happened that when China Aster called, Orcus was out, and having waited for him a weary time in vain, China Aster went home, still with the check, but resolved not to keep it another day. Bright and early the next morning he would a second time go after Orcus, and would, no doubt, make a sure thing of it by finding him in his bed. For since the lottery prize came to him, Orcus, besides becoming more cheery, had also grown a little lazy. But, as destiny would have it, that same night China Aster had a dream, in which a being in the guise of a smiling angel, and holding a kind of cornucopia in her hand, hovered over him, pouring down showers of small gold dollars thick as kernels of corn. I am bright future, friend China Aster, said the angel, and if you do what friend Orcus would have you do, just see what will become of it.
with which bright future with another swing of her cornucopia poured such another shower of small gold coins upon him that it seemed to bank him up all round and he waited about in it like a maltster in malt now dreams are wonderful things as everybody knows so wonderful indeed that some people stop not short of ascribing them directly to heaven and china aster who was of a proper turn of mind in everything thought that in consideration of the dream it would be well to wait a little ere seeking orcus again during the day china aster's mind dwelling continually upon the dream he was so full of it that when old plain talk dropped in to see him just before dinner-time as he often did out of the interest he took in old honesty's son china aster told all about his vision adding that he could not think that so radiant an angel could deceive and indeed talked at such a rate that one would have thought he believed the angel some beautiful human philanthropist something in this sort old plain talk understood him and accordingly in his plain way said china aster you tell me that an angel appeared to you in a dream now what does that amount to but this that you dreamed an angel appeared to you go right away china aster and return the check as i advised you before if friend prudence were here he would say just the same thing with which words old plain talk went off to find friend prudence but not succeeding was returning to the candlery himself when at distance making him for a dun who had long annoyed him china aster in a panic barred all his doors and ran to the back part of the candlery where no knock could be heard by this sad mistake being left with no friend to argue the other side of the question china aster was so worked upon at last by musing over his dream that nothing would do but he must get the check cashed and lay out the money the very same day in buying a good lot of spermaceti to make into candles by which operation he counted upon turning a better penny than he ever had before in his life in fact this he believed would prove the foundation of that famous fortune which the angel had promised him now in using the money china aster was resolved punctually to pay the interest every six months till the principal should be returned howbeit not a word about such a thing had been breathed by orcus though indeed according to custom as well as law in such matters interest would legitimately accrue on the loan nothing to the contrary having been put in the bond whether orcus at the time had this in mind or not there is no telling but to all appearance he never so much as cared to think about the matter one way or other though this spermaceti venture rather disappointed china aster's sanguine expectations yet he made out to pay the first six months interest and though his next venture turned out still less prosperously yet by pinching his family in the matter of fresh meat and what pained him still more his boy's schooling he contrived to pay the second six months interest sincerely grieved that integrity as well as its opposite though not in an equal degree cost something sometimes meanwhile orcus had gone on a trip to europe by advice of a physician it so happening that since the lottery prize came to him it had been discovered to orcus that his health was not very firm though he had never complained of anything before but a slight ailing of the spleen scarce worth talking about at the time 
So Orcus, being abroad, could not help China Aster's paying his interest as he did, however much he might have been opposed to it, for China Aster paid it to Orcus's agent, who was of too businesslike a turn to decline interest regularly paid in on a loan. But overmuch to trouble the agent on that score was not again to be the fate of China Aster, for not being of that skeptical spirit which refuses to trust customers, his third venture resulted through bad debts in almost a total loss, a bad blow for the candle-maker. Neither did old plain talk and old prudence neglect the opportunity to read him an uncheerful enough lesson upon the consequences of his disregarding their advice in the matter of having nothing to do with borrowed money. "'It's all just as I predicted,' said old plain talk, blowing his old nose with his old bandana. "'Yea, indeed it is,' chimed in old prudence, rapping his staff on the floor and then leaning upon it, looking with solemn forebodings upon China Aster." low-spirited enough felt the poor candle-maker till all at once who should come with a bright face to him but his bright friend the angel in another dream again the cornucopia poured out its treasure and promised still more revived by the vision he resolved not to be downhearted but up and at it once more contrary to the advice of old plain talk backed as usual by his crony which was to the effect that, under present circumstances, the best thing China Aster could do would be to wind up his business, settle if he could all his liabilities, and then go to work as a journeyman, by which he could earn good wages and give up for that time henceforth all thoughts of rising above being a paid subordinate to men more able than himself. For China Aster's career thus far plainly proved him the legitimate son of old honesty, who, as every one knew, had never shown much business talent. So little, in fact, that many said of him that he had no business to be in business. And just this plain saying, plain talk, now plainly applied to China Aster, and old prudence never disagreed with him. But the angel in the dream did, and, moger plain talk, put quite other notions into the candle-maker. He considered what he should do towards re-establishing himself. Doubtless had Orcus been in the country, he would have aided him in this strait. As it was, he applied to others, and as in the world, much as some may hint to the contrary, an honest man in misfortune can still find friends to stay by him and help him, even so it proved with China Aster, who at last succeeded in borrowing from a rich old farmer the sum of six hundred dollars, at the usual interest of money-lenders upon the security of a secret bond signed by China Aster's wife and himself, to the effect that all such right and title to any property that should be left her by a well-to-do childless uncle, an invalid tanner, such property should, in the event of China Aster's failing to return the borrowed sum on the given day, be the lawful possession of the money-lender. True, it was just as much as China Aster could possibly do to induce his wife, a careful woman, to sign this bond, because she had always regarded her promised share in her uncle's estate as an anchor well to windward of the hard times in which China Aster had always been more or less involved, and from which, in her bosom, she never had seen much chance of his freeing himself. Some notion may be had of China Aster's standing in the heart and head of his wife, by a short sentence commonly used in reply to such persons as happened to sound her on the point. China Aster, she would say, is a good husband, 
but a bad businessman. Indeed, she was a connection on the maternal side of old plain talks. But had not China Aster taken good care not to let old plain talk and old prudence hear of his dealings with the old farmer, ten to one they would in some way have interfered with his success in that quarter. It has been hinted that the honesty of China Aster was what mainly induced the money-lender to befriend him in his misfortune, and this must be apparent. For, had China Aster been a different man, the money-lender might have dreaded lest, in the event of his failing to meet his note, he might some way prove slippery, more especially as, in the hour of distress, worked upon by remorse for so jeopardizing his wife's money, his heart might prove a traitor to his bond. Not to hint that it was more than doubtful how such a secret security and claim, as in the last resort would be the old farmer's, would stand in a court of law. But though one inference from this all may be that, had China Aster been something else than what he was, he would not have been trusted, and therefore he would have been effectually shut out from running his own and wife's head into the usurer's noose, yet those who, when everything at last came out, maintained that, in this view and to this extent, the honesty of the candle-maker was no advantage to him, in so saying, such persons said what every good heart must deplore, and no prudent tongue will admit. It may be mentioned that the old farmer made China Aster take part of his loan in three old dried-up cows and one lame horse, not improved by the glanders. These were thrown in at a pretty high figure, the old money-lender having a singular prejudice in regard to the high value of any sort of stock raised on his farm. With a great deal of difficulty and at more loss, China Aster disposed of his cattle at public auction, no private purchaser being found who could be prevailed upon to invest. And now, raking and scraping in every way, and working early and late, China Aster at last started afresh, not without largely and confidently extending himself. However, he did not try his hand at the spermaceti again, but, admonished by experience, returned to tallow. But, having bought a good lot of it, by the time he got it into candles, tallow fell so low, and candles with it, that his candles per pound barely sold for what he had paid for the tallow. Meantime, a year's unpaid interest had accrued on Orcus's loan. But China Aster gave himself not so much concern about that as about the interest now due to the old farmer, but he was glad that the principal there had yet some time to run. However, the skinny old fellow gave him some trouble by coming after him every day or two on a scraggy old white horse, furnished with a musty old saddle, and goaded into his shambling old paces with a withered old rawhide. All the neighbors said that surely death himself on the pale horse was after poor China Aster now. And something so it proved, for ere long China Aster found himself involved in troubles mortal enough. At this juncture Orcus was heard of. Orcus, it seemed, had returned from his travels, and clandestinely married, and in a kind of queer way was living in Pennsylvania among his wife's relations, who, among other things, had induced him to join a church, or rather semi-religious school, of come-outers. And what was still more, Orcus, without coming to the spot himself, had sent word to his agent to dispose of some of his property in Marietta, and remit him the proceeds. Within a year after, 
china aster received a letter from orcus commending him for his punctuality in paying the first year's interest and regretting the necessity that he orcus was now under of using all his dividends so he relied upon china aster's paying the next six months interest and of course with the back interest not more surprised than alarmed china aster thought of taking steamboat to go and see orcus but he was saved that expense by the unexpected arrival in marietta of orcus in person suddenly called there by that strange kind of capriciousness lately characterizing him no sooner did china aster hear of his old friend's arrival than he hurried to call upon him he found him curiously rusty in dress sallow in cheek and decidedly less gay and cordial in manner which the more surprised china aster because in former days he had more than once heard orcus in his light rattling way declare that all he orcus wanted to make him a perfectly happy hilarious and benignant man was a voyage to europe and a wife with the free development of his inmost nature upon china aster's stating his case his trusted friend was silent for a time then in an odd way said that he would not crowd china aster but still his orcus's necessities were urgent could not china aster mortgage the candlery he was honest and must have moneyed friends and could he not press his sales of candles could not the market be forced a little in that particular the profits on the candles must be very great seeing now that orcus had the notion that the candle-making business was a very profitable one and knowing sorely enough what an error was here china aster tried to undeceive him but he could not drive the truth into orcus orcus being very obtuse here and at the same time strange to say very melancholy finally orcus glanced off from so unpleasing a subject into the most unexpected reflections taken from a religious point of view upon the unstableness and deceitfulness of the human heart but having as he thought experienced something of that sort of thing china aster did not take exception to his friend's observations but still refrained from so doing almost as much for the sake of sympathetic sociality as anything else presently orcus without much ceremony rose and saying he must write a letter to his wife bade his friend good-bye but without warmly shaking him by the hand as of old in much concern at the change china aster made earnest inquiries in suitable quarters as to what things as yet unheard of had befallen orcus to bring about such a revolution and learned at last that besides travelling and getting married and joining the sect of come-outers orcus had somehow got a bad dyspepsia and lost considerable property through a breach of trust on the part of a factor in new york telling these things to old plain talk that man of some knowledge of the world shook his old head and told china aster that though he hoped it might prove otherwise yet it seemed to him that all he had communicated about orcus worked together for bad omens as to his future forbearance especially he added with a grim sort of smile in view of his joining the sect of come-outers for if some men knew what was their inmost natures instead of coming out with it they would try their best to keep it in which indeed was the way with the prudent sort in all which sour notions old prudence as usual chimed in
when interest day came again china aster by the utmost exertions could only pay orcus's agent a small part of what was due and a part of that was made up by his children's gift money bright tenpenny pieces and new quarters kept in their little money-boxes and pawning his best clothes with those of his wife and children so that all were subjected to the hardship of staying away from church and the old usurer too now beginning to be obstreperous china aster paid him interest and other passing debts with money got by at last mortgaging the candlery when next interest day came round for orcus not a penny could be raised with much grief of heart china aster so informed orcus's agent meantime the note to the old usurer fell due and nothing from china aster was ready to meet it yet as heaven sends its rain on the just and unjust alike by a coincidence not unfavorable to the old farmer the well-to-do uncle the tanner having died the usurer entered upon possession of such part of his property left by will to the wife of china aster when still the next interest day from orcus came round it found china aster worse off than ever for besides his other troubles he was now weak with sickness feebly dragging himself to orcus's agent he met him in the street told him just how it was upon which the agent with a grave enough face said that he had had instructions from his employer not to crowd him about the interest at present but to say to him that about the time the note would mature orcus would have heavy liabilities to meet and therefore the note must at that time be certainly paid and of course the back interest with it and not only so but as orcus had had to allow the interest for good part of the time he hoped that for the back interest china aster would in reciprocation have no objections to allowing interest on the interest annually to be sure this was not the law but between friends who accommodate each other it was the custom just then old plain talk with old prudence turned the corner coming plump upon china aster as the agent left him and whether it was sunstroke or whether they accidentally ran against him or whether it was him being so weak or whether it was everything together or how it was exactly there is no telling but poor china aster fell to the earth and striking his head sharply was picked up senseless it was a day in july such a light and heat as only the midsummer banks of the inland ohio know china aster was taken home on a door lingered a few days with a wandering mind and kept wandering on till at last in the dead of night when nobody was aware his spirit wandered away into the other world old plain talk and old prudence neither of whom ever omitted attending any funeral which indeed was their chief exercise these two were among the sincerest mourners who followed the remains of the son of their ancient friend to the grave it is needless to tell of the executions that followed how that the candlery was sold by the mortgagee how orcus never got a penny for his loan and how in the case of the poor widow chastisement was tempered with mercy for though she was left penniless she was not left childless yet unmindful of the alleviation a spirit of complaint at what she impatiently called the bitterness of her lot and the hardness of the world 
so preyed upon her as ere long to hurry her from the obscurity of indigence to the deeper shades of the tomb. But though the straits in which China Aster had left his family had, besides apparently dimming the world's regard, likewise seemed to dim its sense of probity of its deceased head, and though this, as some thought, did not speak well for the world, yet it happened in this case, as in others, that, though the world may for a time seem insensible to that merit which lies under a cloud, yet, sooner or later, it always renders honor where honor is due. For, upon the death of the widow, the freeman of Marietta, as a tribute of respect for China Aster, and an expression of their conviction of his high moral worth, passed a resolution that, until they attained maturity, his children should be considered the town's guests. No mere verbal compliment like those of some public bodies, for on the same day the orphans were officially installed in that hospitable edifice where their worthy grandfather, the town's guest before them, had breathed his last breath. But sometimes honor may be paid to the memory of an honest man, and still his mound remain without a monument. Not so, however, with the candle-maker. At an early day, plain talk had procured a plain stone, and was digesting in his mind what pithy word or two to place upon it, when there was discovered, in China Aster's otherwise empty wallet, an epitaph written probably in one of those disconsolate hours, attended with more or less mental aberration, perhaps, so frequent with him for some months prior to his end. A memorandum on the back expressed the wish that it might be placed over his grave. Though with the sentiment of the epitaph, plain talk did not disagree, he himself being at times of a hypochondriac turn, at least so many said, yet the language struck him as too much drawn out. So, after consultation with old prudence, he decided upon making use of the epitaph, yet not without verbal retrenchments. And though when these were made the things still appeared wordy to him, nevertheless, thinking that, since a dead man was to be spoken about, it was but just to let him speak for himself, especially when he spoke sincerely, and when, by so doing, the more salutary lesson would be given, he had the retrenched inscription chiseled as follows upon the stone. Here lie the remains of China Aster, the candle-maker, whose career was an example of the truth of Scripture, as found in the sober philosophy of Solomon the Wise, for he was ruined by allowing himself to be persuaded, against his better sense, into the free indulgence of confidence, and an ardently bright view of life, to the exclusion of that counsel which comes by heeding the opposite view. This inscription raised some talk in the town, and was rather severely criticized by the capitalist, one of a very cheerful turn, who had secured his loan to China Aster by the mortgage, and though it also proved obnoxious to the man who, in the town meeting, had first moved for the compliment to China Aster's memory, and, indeed, was deemed by him a sort of slur upon the candle-maker, to that degree that he refused to believe that the candle-maker himself had composed it, charging old plain talk with the authorship, alleging that the internal evidence showed that none but that veteran old croaker could have penned such a jeremiad. Yet, for all this, the stone stood. In everything, of course, old plain talk was seconded by old prudence, 
who, one day going to the graveyard in great coat and overshoes, for though it was a sunshiny morning, he thought that, owing to heavy dews, dampness might lurk in the ground, long stood before the stone, sharply leaning over on his staff, spectacles on nose, spelling out the epitaph word by word, and afterwards meeting old Plain Talk in the street, gave a great rap with his stick and said, Friend Plain Talk, that epitaph will do very well. Nevertheless, one short sentence is wrong. Upon which Plain Talk said it was too late, the chiseled words being so arranged, after the usual manner of such inscriptions, that nothing could be interlined. Then, said old Prudence, I will put it in the shape of a postscript. Accordingly, with the approbation of old Plain Talk, he had the following words chiseled at the left-hand corner of the stone, and pretty low down. The root of all was a friendly loan. Chapter 41 Ending with a rupture of the hypothesis "'With what heart,' cried Frank, still in character, "'have you told me this story, a story I can no way approve, "'for its moral, if accepted, would drain me of all reliance upon my last stay, "'and therefore of my last courage in life. "'For what was that bright view of China Aster but a cheerful trust "'that, if you but kept up a brave heart, worked hard, and ever hoped for the best, "'all at last would go well?' If your purpose, Charlie, in telling me this story was to pain me, and keenly, you have succeeded. But if it was to destroy my last confidence, I praise God you have not. Confidence? cried Charlie, who, on his side, seemed with his whole heart to enter into the spirit of the thing. What has confidence to do with the matter? That moral of the story which I am for commending to you is this, the folly on both sides of a friend's helping a friend. For was not that loan of Orcus to China Aster the first step towards their estrangement? And did it not bring about what in effect was the enmity of Orcus? I tell you, Frank, true friendship, like other precious things, is not rashly to be meddled with. And what more meddlesome between friends than a loan? A regular marplot. For how can you help that helper who must turn out a creditor? And creditor and friend, can they ever be one? No, not in the most lenient case, since out of lenity to forgo one's claim is less to be a friendly creditor than to cease to be a creditor at all. But it will not do to rely upon this lenity, no, not in the best man, for the best man, as the worst, is subject to all mortal contingencies. He may travel, he may marry, he may join the come-outers or some equally untoward school or sect, not to speak of other things that more or less tend to new-cast the character. And were there nothing else, who shall answer for his digestion, upon which so much depends? But Charlie, dear Charlie, nay, wait, you have hearkened to my story in vain if you do not see that, however indulgent and right-minded I may seem to you now, that is no guarantee for the future, and into the power of that uncertain personality which, through the mutability of my humanity I may hereafter become, should not common sense dissuade you, my dear Frank, from putting yourself. Consider, would you, in your present need, be willing to accept a loan from a friend, 
securing him by a mortgage on your homestead, and do so knowing that you had no reason to feel satisfied that the mortgage might not eventually be transferred into the hands of a foe? Yet the difference between this man and that man is not so great as the difference between what the same man be today and what he may be in days to come. For there is no bent of heart or turn of thought which any man holds by virtue of an unalterable nature or will. Even those feelings and opinions deemed most identical with eternal right and truth, is it not impossible that, as personal persuasions, they may in reality be but the result of some chance tip of fate's elbow in throwing her dice? For, not to go into the first seeds of things, and passing by the accident of parentage predisposing to this or that habit of mind, descend below these and tell me, if you change this man's experiences or that man's books, will wisdom go surety for his unchanged convictions? As particular food begets particular dreams, so particular experiences or books, particular feelings or beliefs. And I will hear nothing of that fine babble about development and its laws. There is no development in opinion and feeling, but the developments of time and tide. You may deem all this talk idle, Frank, but conscience bids me show you how fundamental the reasons for treating you as I do. But Charlie, dear Charlie, what new notions are these? I thought that man was no poor drifting weed of the universe, as you phrased it. That, if so minded, he could have a will, a way, a thought, and a heart of his own. But now you have turned everything upside down again with an inconsistency that amazes and shocks me. Inconsistency? Bah! There speaks the ventriloquist again, sighed Frank in bitterness. Illy pleased, it may be, by the repetition of an allusion little flattering to his originality, however much so to his docility, the disciple sought to carry it off by exclaiming, Yes, I turn over day and night with indefatigable pains, the sublime pages of my master, and, unfortunately for you, my dear friend, I find nothing there that leads me to think otherwise than I do. But enough, in this matter the experience of China Aster teaches a moral more to the point than anything Mark Winsome can offer, or I either. I cannot think so, Charlie, for neither am I China Aster, nor do I stand in his position. The loan to China Aster was to extend his business with. The loan I seek is to relieve my necessities. Your dress, my dear Frank, is respectable. Your cheek is not gaunt. Why talk of necessities when nakedness and starvation beget the only real necessities? But I need relief, Charlie, and so sorely that I now conjure you to forget that I was ever your friend, while I apply to you only as a fellow being, whom surely you will not turn away. Uh, that I will not. Take off your hat, bow over to the ground, and supplicate an alms of me in the way of London streets, and you shall not be a sturdy beggar in vain. But no man drops pennies into the hat of a friend, let me tell you. If you turn beggar, then, for the honor of noble friendship, I turn stranger. Enough, cried the other, rising, and with a toss of his shoulders, seeming disdainfully to throw off the character he had assumed. Enough, I have had my fill of the philosophy of Mark Winsome as put into action. And moonshiny as it in theory may be, yet a very practical philosophy it turns out in effect, 
as he himself engaged I should find. But miserable for my race should I be, if I thought he spoke truth when he claimed, for proof of the soundness of his system, that the study of it tended to much the same formation of character with the experiences of the world. Apt disciple! Why wrinkle the brow and waste the oil both of life and the lamp, only to turn out a head kept cool by the under-ice of the heart? What your illustrious magician has taught you, any poor old broken-down, heart-shrunken dandy might have lisped. Pray leave me, and with you take the last dregs of your inhuman philosophy. And here, take this shilling, and at the first wood-landing buy yourself a few chips to warm the frozen natures of you and your philosopher by. With these words, and a grand scorn, the cosmopolitan turned on his heel, leaving his companion at a loss to determine where exactly the fictitious character had been dropped, and the real one, if any, resumed. If any, because, with pointed meaning, there occurred to him, as he gazed after the cosmopolitan, these familiar lines. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players, who have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. End of section 17